So we started, or we've been looking at for the past, since the beginning of this year, funny enough, uh, for the most part of this year, we've been looking at the series on the armor of God. And I was telling our team, like the team members on, when we had a meeting on Saturday, I was telling them that this is the longest series we've ever done. And at the same time, it's been one of the most revealing series for me personally, and I believe for many of us as well. Um, because like, even when I study, I just see things that I never knew before. And I believe that if we were not doing this Bible study, I probably would not have known it for a very long time. So yeah, it's something that's exciting. And I encourage every one of us to please go back to the ones, to the previous um, studies that we missed and um, listen to them, do your own Bible study, cross-reference the scriptures and just, you know, fill your heart with the knowledge of God's word. Why is this important? Um, this is important because the Bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge. And that is a very instructive scripture because out of so many things that could that can make God's people perish, the, um, the God says that the only reason they perish is for lack of knowledge. So it's not even because of the might of the devil. It's not because the enemy is um, stronger or is wiser or is um, more intelligent or anything like that or more determined. No, it's simply because God's people lack knowledge. So the fault is not even on the on the devil. The fault is on us, the believers, um, the, uh, the believer, you know. So knowledge arms us. Knowledge is like a weapon. It arms you to face whatever the enemy throws at you. So I highly encourage us to go after knowledge, okay? Um, to go after the knowledge of God's word. Go after, um, go after information, spiritual information and intelligence, all right? That's why we're doing what we're doing um, at the Borderless Christian Community, to provide that um, environment where we can absorb the knowledge of God and we can grow, all right? That's the whole reason of our Bible study. Okay, so we're looking at... Um, the armor of God, and we are continuing that. We have today, I think we just have two more pieces of the armor left. So we have the helmet of salvation, and then we have the sword of the spirit. Okay, so let us go to our anchor text in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians, um, where are we? Ephesians chapter 6. Verse, um, this should be verse 16 or verse 16. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Yes, verse 17. Sorry, Ephesians, chapter 6, and verse 17. Okay, Ephesians, chapter 6, and verse 17. Uh, all right, so no, no, let, let me start from, let me take it back a bit. So let me start from verse 13 to give us just context. It says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins gird, gird about with truth. So we looked at the belt of truth, right? And says, having on the breastplate of righteousness. And we also looked at the breastplate of righteousness and what that means and, you know, went into all details. 
and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we looked at um, the, the sandals, or the preparation of the gospel of peace, basically. I'm trying to remember what the exact title for that study was. But yeah, we looked at this. And then we went on um, last week and the week before that to look at the shield of faith, which is in verse 16. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So it says, take on the shield of faith, where you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And that's what we just looked at, um, like I said, last week and the week and the week before. Now we're looking at verse 17 that says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All right. And I remember um, I was sharing, sharing with one of my, my team members that um, how that I was considering, you know, combining the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit together. Um, but on a second thought, I just realized that we wouldn't be able to do that in one Bible study. In fact, I am not sure we can finish the helmet of salvation in today's Bible study. So let us see how far we can go. I know the amazing thing about scripture is that um, there's so much in scripture if the Holy Ghost opens it up to you. And that's why the Bible tells us that, um, tells us about the book, right? Representing scripture, how that it was given to the to the unlearned and the unlearned said, well, I did not go to school. How can I even understand this? And then it was also given to the learned. So the person that went to school and the person says, I still don't understand this. So meaning the context of God's word, the content, sorry, of God's word is highly spiritual. And unless it is revealed to you by the Holy Spirit, who is the author of this book, then you really will not understand it. All right. So we're looking at the helmet of salvation. And I want to start off with just asking us um, plainly, right, before we even proceed, what does the helmet of salvation mean to you? Or what do you understand by the helmet of salvation? When you hear the helmet of salvation, um, really, what does it mean? What, what comes to your mind? Um, so, yeah, I want to hear from us, maybe two people or three people at most, uh, just what do we understand by the helmet of salvation. Um, I'm, sh I'm sure we know what the helmet is, but then what does the helmet of salvation mean to us? All right, so I am open to answers and please feel free. There is no, I mean, the, there's no right or wrong answer at this point. We just, I just want to hear our thoughts and what we understand from this scripture before we dive into the study. All right, so helmet of salvation. Um, if you're on MixLR, MixLR, please feel free to type in your thoughts. If you're on Zoom, just feel free to unmute yourself and go ahead and speak. Okay, um, Esosa, I see your hand. Oh, please feel free. Hi, Victor. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Um, in my past studies of what that is, I know in Thessalonians, it's rewarded as the helmet of the hope of our salvation. Right, so um, um, two things come to mind. Um, the consciousness of our salvation and all that has been done, it's called the helmet, like over the mind. Um, another thought is, okay, the hope of our salvation, which is the, um, the coming of our Lord, you know, Maranatha and all that. So um, those two, yeah, thank you. 
All right, thank you very much for that. Um, so the hope of our salvation one and also the consciousness of our, sorry, I'm, I'm not sure. Just go, please take over, go over the first point. So I don't, I don't mix what you said. Yeah, like I said, so it could mean two things. Either the yeah. consciousness of the salvation that Christ has achieved for us, mm -hmm. um, or as Thessalonians says, the hope that with the expectation, you know, of our salvation, which um, from scripture is the coming of our Lord, is, is coming. Okay, okay, fantastic. Okay. Fantastic, thank you very much. All right, so that's from um, Sosa. Anybody else wants to share their thoughts? What does it mean? Or, I mean, possibly you've never really just been given it a, a thought. Um, and that's an interesting thing about um, very familiar scriptures that we might have heard them over and over again, but not really giving it like in-depth thoughts. But yeah, anyone else wants to share what does that mean to you? What does the helmet of salvation mean to you? I am looking for responses on Mixer, but I haven't seen any yet. Okay, so I would assume you are still typing your responses and I would proceed with that assumption, all right? Or, and, and it's fine if, if there's nothing that comes to your mind. But I want, to, I want us to break this down again, right? Um, it, having in mind the picture of a warrior, of, the, of a typical warrior, a Roman soldier, or if you watch any of the classical movies that depict um, war in that dispensation, you would know what a helmet is, right? And um, even, if, even if it's not in a war scenario, just from like even contemporary living, um, if you are riding a motorcycle, ideally you should have a helmet, or even if it's a bicycle, like ideally you should have a helmet on. Um, and the purpose of that helmet is to protect the head, okay? Um, so the first question now would be, what does that head even represent in this context? All right, um, because it's very clear that the helmet protects the head, but then what does the head mean in this context? And Esosa um, said something that I want to piggyback on and you know, just extend that to explain this concept. And it's in this con context, it signifies um, your mind, all right? And um, it signifies your consciousness, your place of reasoning, just the same way your brain, for instance, biologically speaking, um, your, your head houses your brain, and that's where your reasoning, your thinking, your imagination, and all of that takes place, okay? And that is what the helmet, even physically speaking, that is what the helmet protects. Um, first of all, your skull protects your brain, and then as an additional protection, your helmet, right, protects your skull and eventually protects your brain. So ultimately, your brain is what your physical helmet protects. But um, spiritually signifying, right, as a, as a significance, right, it means your, your place of reasoning, your consciousness, your mind, basically. And what Paul was saying is that you need to take the helmet of salvation as a protect, protective measure against, or as a protective, protective measure over your reasoning, your consciousness, your, um, your mind, all right? And why is this super important? Um, before we look at the helmet of the helmet itself 
I want us to look at why it's important that our consciousness and the, our, our faculty of reasoning is being protected. Uh, won't see why it is important, and then we we then would understand why it has to be protected. All right. So to start with, let us explore uh, a scripture, Romans chapter one, starting from verse twenty-one. Romans chapter one, verse twenty-one. Romans chapter one and verse twenty-one. All right. So the Bible says, okay, let's start from verse 20. For the invisible things of God, for the invisible things of him, that's of God now, for the invisible things of him from creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So that, excuse me. so that they are without excuse, all right? Now verse 21 says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful. So this group of people, they knew God. You know, there are, there are people who don't know God. There are, let's say, set of unbelievers who don't know God. They've probably never heard of the one true God. They are not aware of God and, and evangelism for these people is super important because um, they will not believe <clears throat> unless they have been preached to, okay? The book of Romans explains that to us. So there are those set of people who have not heard about God. And all that, they are, all that is needed in that case is for a preacher to preach to them. And when they hear about God, they have to be open and they receive God. But that is not the set of people this scripture is referring to. It says that this set of people, they knew God, meaning that they were aware of God, they knew that they knew who God was, they knew the possibility, they knew that this is the true God, but they made a conscious decision not to follow Him. So it says, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. So, first of all, they refused to acknowledge that He was God, they did not give Him the glory that was that is due Him. Meaning that, you know, the same way, so just imagine um, you have a friend or someone you claim to be your friend, and the person comes to your house, let's say you live with your parents, right? Assume you live with your parents, um, and the person comes to your house, or may, let's even say you go visit your, your dad, for instance, and the person follows you to go visit your dad. Probably you just want to say hi to your dad, you're passing by, you know, not anything very serious, but you just wanted to check on your dad and your mom, check on your parents. And then your this person that you thought was your friend follows you to greet to, your, to see your parents, and when the person comes into the house, the person, you introduce um, the, your parents to this person and say, oh, hi, meet my parents, all right? But this person with that knowledge refused to give respect to your parents like a parent should have respect. So they, for instance, they say, um, I mean, if you, are nine, if you are a Nigerian or you live in Nigeria, you know that it is completely weird to call your parents by first name. Um, in fact, sometimes you forget what your parents' first name is, all right? Um, so it is very rare. It is not, we as Nigerians, and I'm just speaking as from a Nigerian context. So in case you are listening to this from, um, from any other part of the country, any other part of the world, sorry, it might not be weird to you. But in Nigeria, based on our culture, 
you don't call your parents by their first name. So imagine this, your friend comes and your friend is in Nigeria. He's aware of Nigerian culture. He's not a foreigner. Or your friend comes and then you say, oh, um, let's assume your friend's name is James. You say, hi, James, uh, meet my dad and my mom. And you say, and, and James now says, oh, hi. Let's say your dad's name is Felix. You say, oh, hi, Felix. How are you doing today? I say, ah, how is your work? And he begins to call him by on first name basis. So initially that will obviously take you aback because you expect some level of respect. But let's say, okay, assuming this guy has watched a lot of, you know, movies and basically has been westernized by, by association. But then he goes on to continue to disrespect your parents. And at some point you're like, we can't talk to my parents like that. These are my parents. And he's like, so what? And he continues talking in a disrespectful manner. You know that that person has consciously decided to be disrespectful to your parents. It is not that the person doesn't know, but it's that the person has refused to recognize your parents as worthy of respect. That is what this version is, um, this passage rather is saying, that this set of people, they knew God, but they intentionally refused to glorify him as God. And then he goes on to say that neither were they thankful. So, so again, this points to acknowledging um, acknowledging God, all right, as God. You know how, as a believer, we typically would just say, oh, Lord, thank you. Uh, if something good happens to you, you, you most likely just say thank you. So these people don't even rec have refused to recognize God as God. So there's no one for, to even thank, all right? Then he goes on to say that, um, but they became vain in their imaginations. So I want you to note the word imagination because we will come back to it um, so, um, further down the study. So it says they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. So their imagination entertained vanity. And this is the definition of vanity. Anything, any thoughts or imagination that excludes God from its consciousness is regarded as vanity. So they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 22 says, professing themselves to be wise, all right? And I want you to think closely and you see that um, there's a lot of this already happening currently, that this set of people, after intentionally excluding God from their imaginations, after intentionally refusing to acknowledge God as God, they began to project themselves as wise people, as studious people, as people of intellect, as people who can explain and study the way things, things happen. And by the way, um, wisdom for humans, right, is always centered around what they can, what are always centered around their sphere of existence. And what humans try to do is to project themselves as wise people in, in, with, in light of their understanding of their current existence, all right? So these people began to project themselves as wise people. And that's what verse 22 says, they began to profess themselves as wise. And already you can see that there are a lot of people, um, especially for those who are involved in deep study, like in studying, right? Um, people who are studious, um, you can see that without God, there, there's a projection of wisdom that does not capture God in their consciousness. And for, I, I've been looking for the most diplomatic way to say, but let me just say the way it is. For a lot of people who do not believe in God, for a lot of atheists, a lot of people who do not recognize God as God, they love to project themselves as wise, as philosophical, you know, um, trying to give very wise things and very intelligent things. And this is why 
again, as believers, we must be careful with what is, what is regarded as a wise saying. It is true that a statement might capture a principle that is earthly, but if the principle or if the inspiration behind that statement excludes God, then it is still vain, all right? And there are a lot of historically great people, okay, you know, that have said a lot of wise things about earthly living, but it does not translate to the necessary, it does not translate to the wisdom of God, all right? So this set of people excluded God from their consciousness and began to project themselves as being wise. It says, um, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image. All right, so let's that, that, that goes on and on. I want to skip that and go down to verse 28. This is Romans chapter 1 and verse 28. Verse 28 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And this is where the emphasis is. Remember, these people knew God. They were aware that this is the true God. But as an act of rebellion, they decided not to retain God in their knowledge. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, meaning, meaning things that are, are, are not normal, that if a logical person with a sane mind looks at what they are doing, it is very illogical. And a lot of what the Western world is currently Terming as being inclusive is tending to this foolishness. It's already um, plying the path of this foolishness, all right? And the reason is because they have intentionally excluded God from their knowledge. That's what verse 28 says, that they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And this is what um, the, when we say the helmet, right? The helmet protects the, the brain. And what that represents spiritually for us is the mind, the seat of consciousness, the seat of reasoning, um, the seat of imagination. And that's why verse 21 says that because the new, the new God, um, the, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they th thankful. They became vain in their imaginations. So the helmet of salvation is that part of the um, armory that protects our imaginations. That is what we conceive in our heart, the way we, um, our seat of reasoning, our seat of um, imagination and knowledge and all of that. That is what we're looking at. And before we go even into the helmet, like I said, I want us to see how that the devil's, one of the devil's purposes is to create a system that excludes God from our, from our consciousness, a system that can run on, on automatic without involving God. And a lot of, you know, when the Bible says, um, when the Bible talks about the world, especially in the New Testament, right? Um, the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When the Bible says, um, do not love the world or the things that are in the world, it's not talking about the trees or the mountains or the physical um, things in nature. Those things were created by God, all right? And it's our duty to take care of the earth right? The fiscal things we see. So when the Bible is talking about the world, it's not referring to those fiscal things. It's talking about the system of civilization that does not include God in its existence, all right? And this is what the enemy tries, has, uh, what the enemy aims to do. The enemy aims to run a parallel government that does not involve God, that does not include God. And we're going to see that 
um, subsequent scriptures that we're looking at. And it is this, this experience that the Bible says the helmet of salvation will protect you from being a victim of that kind of, um, of experience where, there's, where God is excluded from that ecosystem, all right? So I want us to look at this, um, you know, today. And, and like I said, I'm not sure we'll be done today, but at least we'll be able to cover some ground and lay the foundation, okay? However, let us look at what God's desire is. So remember that these people, like we said, um, Romans 1 verse, uh, we read verse 21 to 23, and then we read verse 28, that these people did not retain God in their knowledge. They did not retain God in their consciousness. Have you ever seen somebody do something and, you know, you say, ah, you don't fear God, though. That means the person has, has practiced that, practice rebellion to the system of God up to the point that the person no longer regard, retain, retains God in, in his consciousness. And let me say this, that even an unbeliever, just an unbeliever on his own, right, still has a measure of the consciousness of God in his heart. Because let me read a scripture to us that we might have overlooked. Let me show us something. John chapter 1. <clears throat> John chapter 1, verse. Um, da, 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 da. John chapter 1, verse. Um, just give me a minute. Let me find the exact verse. Okay, good. John chapter 1, verse 9. John chapter 1 and verse 9. All right. So it says. Um, this is talking about Jesus. Oh, let, let me start from verse 8. It says, he was, okay, from verse 7, pardon me. The same came for a witness. That's talking about John the Baptist. same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Verse 8 says, he was not that light. So John the Baptist was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Then concerning the light, who is Jesus Christ, verse 9 says, that was the true light which lighted every man that cometh into the world. So the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the light that lightens every man that comes into the world. What this means is that everyone that comes into the world has a, has a fragment of, or has an imprint of Jesus upon their heart. So there's a consciousness of God somehow, somehow <clears throat> in their hearts, even though they might not know who this God is, but there's a, you know, and that's what we call conscience that the human conscience has an imprint of, the, of Jesus Christ, such that even though a, someone might not be a believer, yet his conscience can guide him on a moral path that might eventually, or that, that God aims for um, the person to eventually interface with Jesus on that path. Do you get what I'm saying? So you can see be people who are not believers Yet, you hear them say, no, my conscience does not allow me to lie, or my conscience does not allow me to do certain things. That's because there's an imprint of Jesus on the consciousness of everyone, because Jesus is the light that lightens every single person that comes into the world, not just believers, but every single person that comes into the world. By the way, nobody comes into the world as a believer anyways, so by default, we're all born as unbelievers up until we receive Jesus Christ. So there's a, a fingerprint of Jesus upon the heart of everyone. And the Bible is saying that these people in the book of Romans 1, where we're reading, verse 28 says that they did not retain God in their 
consciousness. So they constantly, habitually rebelled against God until the strand of God in their consciousness was completely wiped away. All right. And um, this is what the enemy seeks to achieve. Like I said, the enemy aims to aims to spread a culture where God is no longer retained in our consciousness or God is no longer retained in people's consciousness again. However, what is God's um, desire? Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 gives us God's desire, tells us what God, what God is aiming for, all right? Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14, the book of Habakkuk chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 14, he says, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is God's desire that a time will come where the whole earth, and the earth here is not talking about the um, just the material universe that we can see, but rather it's talking about the people first and foremost. So God's desire is that a time will come where every single person <clears throat> would have the knowledge of God in his consciousness, that the knowledge of God will be so common, the same way what you, when you go to the sea, what you, what you see at the sea is water. The same way water covers the sea is the same way God wants the knowledge of, of, of wants his knowledge rather to cover the whole of the earth. And it starts with the people on the earth because just like we saw in Genesis, whatever man permits is what enters into the earth. So the, when, when God says he wants the earth to be filled with the knowledge of, with his knowledge, right? He's talking about the people first and foremost. But the enemy's agenda is completely opposite. He wants men to eliminate the consciousness of God from their hearts, all right? Eliminate God from their consciousness, okay? So again, I want us to go further on this path and see what this means for us or what this means, you know, for, for humanity in general. And I said here that, it, sorry, permit me today, we don't have slides. Um, I just couldn't get the slides ready before Bible study. Um, but I would do that um, by next week. I'll have that ready by next week, um, Bible study, all right? So I said here that one of the effects of spiritual death is that man began to lose the consciousness of God. So when you go to Genesis, you see that the Bible lets us, the Bible lets us know that um, God came down in the garden at the cool of the day to fellowship with man. And in fact, man was so conscious of God that when it was time to name the animals and name the things God created, whatever he named it, he was so accurate that God would not have, that was exactly what God would have named it if God came to do the naming ceremony himself. That was how much man's consciousness was full of God. We're operating on with the, with the fullness of, God's, of God in our consciousness. But when man sinned and death kicked, the effect of death began to play out. What we see as one of the Result is that man began to lose the consciousness of God in his heart. Man began to lose the knowledge of God in his reasoning, in the way he thought about things, in the way he did, he lived his life, up to the point where the next generation after Adam, the next generation, Cain and Abel, from nowhere we saw a murderer just evolve out of that. How could a murderer come? Who taught him how to murder? It was because the consciousness of God, which serves as a restraint in our hearts, began to, began to erode from, from Cain's heart. And the more 
he entertained thoughts that did not include God, the more he began to act and live outside the government of God. All right, so one of the effects of the fall of man and the effect of death is that man began to lose the consciousness of God, all right? And if you look at what Jesus Christ said um, in the book of John, we're going to read that soon, but we now see that also eternal life is bringing back the knowledge of God into our consciousness, all right? Or one of the effects of eternal life is bringing back the knowledge of God into our consciousness, okay? So let us read John chapter 17, verse 3. <clears throat> John chapter 17 and verse 3. So I know we are going a bit like technical today, but I think this will help us appreciate what the helmet of salvation does for does um, for us. So John chapter 17, verse 3 says, and this was Jesus Christ speaking, says, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So Jesus Christ was giving a definition to eternal life. And he says, among other things, the definition of eternal life is that they will know you. And that knowledge is a practical resident knowledge of, of God that they would begin to re retain you back in their consciousness, all right? And this is what eternal life does. So one of the things that eternal life does is it brings back into us the knowledge of God that sin and death eroded away, okay? And when Jesus Christ was explaining to Nicodemus, he gave a definition of life that I want us to um, to look at. Okay, so let's go back to still in the book of John, John chapter 3, the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus, John chapter 3 and verse 3 is my emphasis. John chapter 3 verse 3, and Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, all right? It says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you take, if you do a little study on this um, verse, you see that the Greek word translated see here doesn't necessarily refer to physical sight alone, but rather it refers to spiritual perception, meaning spiritual consciousness. So what Jesus Christ was saying in essence is that unless you are born again, you cannot entertain the consciousness of the kingdom of God. In essence, the proof of life is consciousness. Meaning if you are um, spiritually alive, there is a consciousness you'll be exposed to that is a proof that you're spiritually alive. And that's what Jesus Christ was um, telling Nicodemus here, that on, except you are born again, that means you, unless you receive eternal life, there is no way you will perceive or there's no way you'll be conscious of the kingdom of God. So there is a consciousness and a perception that only comes because you have eternal life, only comes because you are born again. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ was explaining in John chapter 17, verse 3, that this is eternal life, that they may know you, they may be aware of you, they'll be conscious of you, all right, the only true God, okay? So the proof of life <clears throat> is consciousness. And what the enemy aims to do in the life of unbelievers and believers as well, is to take us away from the consciousness of God in our hearts. And every action that is taken 
outside the consciousness of God results in death. That is what the Bible refers to as spiritual death. Every action that, or any, 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 any action, yeah, exactly, any action that um, doesn't factor God in its consciousness um, is a proof of death, all right? So to drive this further down, okay, um, no, 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 before we go, that, go, go further, I want us to look at an example of the progression of death and what, how, how, how men began to deviate, um, how men began to live as they deviated from God, okay? So Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 16 to 19. Um, but before I continue, I just want to be sure that we're together. So if you are with me and you're following so far, please let me know in the comments or give me a thumbs up or just say something that I know so I know you are together with me. And if you are lost, please, you can feel free to say I am lost at this point um, and I'll be able to break things down. All right, so I just want to show that we're all together because today's topic is um, a bit technical. So we need to link one thing to another and uh, to understand it. All right, so yep, let me know. <clears throat> let me know if we're together. I'm looking forward to your responses. Give me a thumbs up, drop a comment in the chat or just let me know, okay? To me says we're together, thank you. Anybody else, are we together? Um, okay. Yes, yeah. we are. Oh, thank you very much. We are together. Thank you. Okay, I see on Mixler um, with you. I see a thumbs up. Okay, good. Amazing. So we're together. All right. Okay, thank you. I see um, your comments on Zoom. We're digesting it well. Thank you. If fell, I see a thumbs up. All right, good. So we're together. Okay, so Genesis chapter 4. Yes, Genesis chapter 4, verse 16 to 19. So at this point, right, um, you know, Cain had killed Abel. God had given his judgment to Cain and said, you're going to be a vagabond and all of that. And verse 16 says, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. So this was a departure from God. All right. So Cain went out um, from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. So, so Cain began to my or rather Cain migrated away from the presence of God. Cain left the presence of God. So meaning he, he basically was saying, I don't have, I don't have to, I don't have anything to do with God anymore. All right. And, and let, for, let me say this here that for many people right now, this migration is not physical. It is internal. It's internal in their consciousness. And that's why you see a lot of, um, whether they call themselves atheists or people who generally don't believe in God, um, they've made a conscious departure from God, okay? And I want you to see how the system of, of the enemy is being built around the departure of God, that the enemy builds a whole ecosystem, a whole city, a whole lifestyle that does not involve God. And if you, if you, if you look at some people, you will tell that they, there is no trace of God in this person's consciousness. The way they do their things, the way they go about, you know that they're willingly departed from God. All right. So this was Cain's experience. Verse um, 17. And Cain knew his wife, meaning Cain slept with his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. Okay. Now, just follow this. He conceived and bare Enoch. 
And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So Cain built a city. So Cain built a civilization. Remember, he departed from God. So whatever he was building did not capture God in that infrastructure. So Cain departed from God and built a city that obviously did not have God at the center or did not, did not even capture the principles of God at all. And he named the city Enoch. Uh, and just for clarity, this is not the same Enoch as the Enoch that walked with God, all right? Um, because that Enoch came from, um, from a different lineage. All right, verse 18, and Enoch was, and unto Enoch was born Erad, and Erad begat Mehujael, and Mehujael begat Methusael, and Methusael begat Lamech. Look at verse 19. And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. From right from Cain, even as notorious as Cain was, Cain did not marry two wives. His son did not marry his like direct son did not marry two, two wives. Like we had generations going on, everybody just sticking to marry one wife until he came to the turn of Lamech. Lamech now had two wives. What that tells us is that the progression of departure from God kept on going further and further up, up to the point where. You know, like we say it in Nigeria, somebody had a liver to marry two wives. Do you get what I'm saying? Like they had departed so much, they had departed, sorry, so much from God up until it became comfortable in their consciousness to marry two wives. And this did not happen immediately. This was a pro, this was progressive across the generations. Okay. And but it started from when um Cain departed from God. And just for for study's sake, I want to count the number of generations it took before somebody could be could have the audacity to marry two wives all right so look at what he says um from verse 16 Cain gave birth um so Cain Cain left Nod right so we count Cain we count his son Enoch we count his son um, Enoch's son Erad we count Erad's son Mehujael um we count the next person Methusael and then we count Lamech so that is six generations after Adam so it took six generations from the fall, right, for, for man's heart to become so independent of the knowledge of God to, for someone to make that bold move, to marry two sons. And from then on, we see, um, to marry two wives, sorry. And from then on, we see several people doing that. What I'm saying is that the moment people depart from God, right, the moment people no longer retain God in their consciousness, a whole civilization is built around that. In fact, a whole economy is built around the departure of the knowledge of God. And if you look at this today, you see that it is, it is very true, even in today's day and time, that when you look at the secular fashion industry, what you see is clearly a departure from the consciousness or from the knowledge of God in our consciousness. Um, when you look at the pornography industry, it is a clear departure from the knowledge of God. So the enemy has successfully built a civilization, an economy around the departure from the knowledge of God. Okay. And this is one of the effects of the fall that when man fell, the man gradually and progressively became, um, became more ignorant of God in the sense of they the, the refused to retain God in, that, in their consciousness. Okay, now for, I guess to be the last part for today, um, I want us to explore Genesis chapter 11 and see what the enemy focuses at when he 
propels people to depart from the consciousness of God. And then next week, we'll then, we would then see why the helmet of salvation is important and then how it, how it is important pretty much to us believers. Okay, so Genesis chapter 11, right, is another example of a departure from God. So Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 to verse 9, and what many of us are already familiar with this, um, the Tower of Babel and, you know, all that happened there. But I want to take this slowly and look at how the enemy plays his game, basically. So Genesis <clears throat> chapter 11, um, starting from verse 1. Oops. Give me a minute, please. Um, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Just give me one minute. All right. So Genesis chapter 11, yeah, I said verse 1, and it reads, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east. I want to show you something that is significant. Let's, you know, go back to Genesis, where we just read now, Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 16. Just take a look at something very significant. It says, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Okay, he went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod. The Bible now goes on to give us an extra information that is significant, right? It says on the east of Eden. So this departure from God was situated on the east of Eden. That was where Cain went to settle, all right? Um, so it's like Cain, Cain, I mean, Cain left the presence of God, departed from the presence of God, and he found a place east of Eden and settled there. He camped there. But then go back to, let's go to um, Genesis chapter 11. By the way, before you get to chapter 11, something had happened there. Um, the, flood of, the flood had happened during the days of Noah. Okay, so God had wiped away like the entire earth, right? And then only left only Noah and you know all of that. So go to verse, go to chapter 11 now. Verse 2 says, and it came to pass <clears throat> as they journeyed from the east, this same east that Cain departed um, from the presence of God too, right? He camped somewhere uh, in the land of Nod, east of, east of Eden. It is the same east that these people, even though they, God had wiped away, um, wiped away the whole earth, right? So it was not as if they were educated or somebody came and, and gave them an education and said, you know what, when you want to depart from God, go, to the, go towards the east. There was nobody that gave them that education. But you see, when people... When people eliminate God from their consciousness, they always act in the same way. Whether they are educated to do so or not, just the absence of God from their consciousness guarantees that they will act in the same way. You, you know, you know. I mean, when we're in a country in Nigeria, um, and one of the, among several things, but one of the things that is plaguing our nation, right, is corruption. And it's very easy to think that, oh, well, this corruption is because we're in Nigeria. But the truth is that if you go outside, go to any country you want to mention, right? Once the knowledge of God is not there, once the fear of God is not there, the same corruption can, can happen there or the same, the way people would act without the knowledge of God 
in Nigeria, the same way they will acquire the knowledge of God in Amsterdam or in New York or in um, Canada or mention, think of any country or any city. Because nobody needs to be educated. Just take away God from your consciousness. You see everybody behaving in the same, in the same, um, in the same manner. All right. And so these people journeyed towards the east and they found a plain in the land of Shina and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. That, sorry, let's go, let's burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. Verse four, Genesis chapter 11, verse four. And they said, go to, let us build a city and a tower. So I wanted to begin to take note of some things here. They said, let us build a city and let us build a tower. Okay. Whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make a name. Let us make a name or let us make us a name. Least we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So this verse, there are some things I just want to highlight. It says they wanted to build a city and they wanted to build a tower. And they wanted to make a name for themselves so that they will not be scattered ab abroad across the earth. Okay. Then let's proceed to verse five. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower with the, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language. And this they began, they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Verse seven says, go to, let us go down and they confound their language. And, um, you know, God then scattered them upon the face of the earth and place was called Babel, all right? Let me just skip the reading part. So a few things here I want to point out from this scripture. To see how the system of God is direct, the system of the enemy is directly opposite to the system of God. Number one, so let's go back to um, that verse four. It says, let us go and build a city, okay? And a tower. So these people wanted to build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. So this, they wanted to build for themselves a city and a tower whose top will reach to heaven. So take note of that. Secondly, is that um, they wanted to make a name for themselves. All right. Thirdly, they wanted to dwell in the same place. So um, it says, let us make a name for them for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad, abroad upon the face of the earth. So they didn't want to go up across the earth. They all wanted to stay in the same place. But this, everything they said their hearts to do was in direct contradiction to what God desires. It was in direct contradiction to the system of God. All right. And what is the system of God? If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9 to 10, um, we see the system of God um, there. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse um, Nine to ten. Um, please, be there. Read for me for some reason. I'm struggling. Okay, good. I found it. <clears throat> All right. So Hebrews chapter eleven, verse nine to ten says, "By faith he sojourned in the land of promise." So this was this was referring to Abraham. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange city, in as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. The hair at the hairs with him of the same promise. My emphasis is verse 10. For he looked for a city 
which has foundation, foundations whose builder and maker is God. So Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker is God, whereas these people wanted to build a city for themselves. God's system says God builds the city and God builds the city and he's the foundation of that city. Whereas the enemy system says, nah, you don't need God. You can build the city for yourself. Why do you need God? Don't you have your brain? Don't you have your mind to think? Build your city by yourself. Exert your intelligence. Study hard. Read. Build this city by yourself. You don't need God. Again, as always, God's system, sorry, the enemy system excludes God from the equation. All right. Whereas God's system says, um, as in the case of Abraham, Abraham was looking for a city whose builder was God, meaning a, a civilization that God himself originated. But these people in Genesis 11, where we read, they wanted to build a city for themselves, not a city that God built, but a city that they themselves created for themselves, for their own pleasure, for their own purpose. All right? So that's the first thing I want to point out from here. Second thing is that... <clears throat> They wanted to build a name for themselves, all right? Um, they wanted to build their own identity. They wanted to build their own strength. They wanted to build a name for themselves, okay? Um, but what does God's system say, okay? Proverbs chapter 10, I'll just quote that off, you know, for us. Proverbs chapter 10, 18, verse 10, I beg your pardon. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, the Bible says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous runs into it and they are saved. The righteous doesn't build a name for himself. The righteous runs into the name of Jesus, of the Lord, who is a strong tower. But these people wanted to build their own tower and have a name for their own selves. So you see the first or, or a, a, a constant theme in this, their own civilization was self. Self was the focus, was the focus. They wanted to build a city by themselves. Um, God's civilization says God builds the city. Secondly, they wanted to make a name for themselves. No, God's civilization says God, God's name is the name you, um, you run into or you, you hold onto, okay? And again, as always, yes, the, the enemy civilization is a departure from God's civilization. It does not capture God in it. And lastly is that these people in Genesis wanted to dwell in the same city. But look at what they said. Um, verse, still verse 4 of Genesis 11, Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, it says, uh, and let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. So they didn't want to be scattered up across the earth. But what was God's instruction? All right. God's instruction in, if you look at Genesis chapter 6, even after the fall, okay, if I, let's go to, to the beginning, first of all. It says Genesis chapter 1, um, Genesis chapter... No, hold on, please. Um, Genesis chapter. Um, this should be one now. Okay, good. Genesis chapter one says, and God Genesis chapter one verse twenty-eight. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. So God's purpose was for them to replenish the whole earth, not just to stay in one place. Okay, and we go to um. To Genesis chapter 6, after the flood and God was speaking to, um, to Noah, Genesis chapter, chapter 9, sorry, not chapter 6, Genesis chapter 9, verse um, 16. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I think 
I have missed something here. Um, so Genesis chapter. Okay, sorry, verse seven, I beg your pardon. Genesis chapter nine, verse seven says, and you, he says, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply thereon. No, that's not what I'm looking for. This is verse that says, I'm replenished. I, I can't find that right now. I'm just saved time. But God's instruction to, Mo, to Noah was the same thing as well, to replenish the earth. But these people decided, no, we're not going to cover the earth. We'll just all dwell in one place. So you see, there's a direct um, opposition or contradiction to the system of God. All right? So again, just to say that whenever God is eliminated from our consciousness, what is built is a system that does not involve God, and it is basically the system of the Antichrist, as the um, New Testament puts it. But there are three things I want to I want to close with, right? That is very crucial to to um, to this system, to both systems actually, whether the system of God or the system of the, of the devil. And, and I believe this this will tie in everything that I've been saying to make sense. Okay. And there are three things when we look at Gen, still Genesis 11, verse 4, there are three things that these people set out to do. Number one is that they set out to build a city and they set out to build a tower. And then lastly, they wanted to create a name for themselves. So this, this, was, this was the ambition of, this, of the people. This was what they wanted to do. They are, what they set out, um, their, you know, their, their goal, basically, what they set their hearts to do. One is to build a city. Second was to build a tower. And thirdly was to make a name for themselves. Now, what does this signify even in contemporary times? The city here signifies a civilization, a, a, a mode of operation. And what this people wanted to do was to create a mode of operation that did not involve God. Um, they wanted to create a, a, you know, when you talk about a city, a city is where people live, where they, where they work, where they um, have their children, where they go to school. Everything happens in the city, meaning a lifestyle, a culture that did not include God. And just the same way, every city has a culture. Um, if you come to a city like Lagos, um, I can tell you for free that one of the culture of Lagos is everybody's in a hurry, everybody's driving crazy, and that's just a culture of the city. You know, if you go to a city, maybe a city like um, New York, it probably would be, would be the same thing. If you go to a city like Abuja, um, they probably are more, um, say, organized. You know, that's the culture of the city, basically. So these people wanted to build a culture that did not involve God. And this is what the enemy tries to establish when he eliminates God from people's consciousness, that they build a city they build a culture, they build a lifestyle that does not involve God. Number two is that they wanted to build, um, it says, wanted to build um, a, a, a tower whose height will reach to the heavens. Now, a tower is symbolic of strength or um, a system of advantage, okay? And when they say they wanted to build a tower whose height will get to the heaven, you need to understand that the because of the strategic nature of a tower, right, to a city, the higher the tower, the more strategic the city was, okay? So in, in olden days or in the time, times of old, a tower served as a, among other things, served as a vantage point where the soldiers could 
stand on the tower and look across the whole city. And not just the whole city, but also could look outside the city and see possible um, threats. So the higher your tower, the more advantage you have. And cities had towers that, that represented strength as well. That's why the Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. So that part of the function of the tower is in the seasons of danger, people can run into the tower and they'll find, <clears throat> and they'll find security, okay? And we have a story like that in the book of you know, Judges um, where the, a city was attacked and the people had to go into the tower for security and then the enemies destroyed the whole tower basically. But my point here is that a tower is a symbol of strength and a symbol of identity, of not sorry, not identity, and a symbol of advantage, a symbol of strength and a symbol of advantage. So what these people set out to do was to create something that was that could give them that could signify their strength, right, and give them an, an advantage in life. But it did not include God. Whereas for God's system, His name is, is a strong tower. We run to it and we are safe. But these people wanted to build a system of strength and advantage that did not include God. And even till today, um, the enemy seeks to establish such systems in people's lives. So you see someone um, who who is growing in his career, right? And and growing your career is not a bad thing, but the person is growing in his career, but, but doesn't have God anywhere in that process, okay? So the person might have to <clears throat> backstab some of his colleagues so that he can get promotion or use underhanded methods to advance in his career. And the person is doing that because he wants to build a system of strength and advantage. So he wants to become like a, a, a C-suite executive, a CEO, a CFO, a COO, but a strong person in his career, all right? That is his own strong tower. That is his own tower. That is his system of strength and advantage. Under person's advantage is the person wants to be wealthy. So the person strives to, to get money at, at all costs through any means, whether legal or illegal, uh, provided he can get money. His, his goal is just to have the money. And the reasoning behind that is that if the person has said to himself, if I have so much money, then I'll be strong. I have an advantage. I can do anything I want. Those are towers that do, do not re- reflect or represent God, okay? And that's what the enemy does in people's lives. Once they exclude God from their consciousness, what happens is that you have a tower that is built without God. You have a system of advantage built without God. For some, it is even their physical body. I mean, for for some ladies, they they want to be figure eight and have the best shape. And the reason is because they want some advantage in life. They want some form of security. Remember that part of the... um. Um, functions of a tower is also security, okay? So for them, is a form of security because God is not in their consciousness. They look for security elsewhere. So they, they think having the perfect shape is what will give them security. For some, again, is money. They say, oh, if I have all the money, you know, if I have a, a billion dollars, that would be form a form, a, a, that would give me a sense of security. All of that external security or vain security is because God is not retained in their consciousness. And this is what happens when God, we, when we lose consciousness of, of Christ in our heart, is that we begin to chase security, security in other things. We begin to build civilization in other things. 
all right? Just like they built a city without God, we begin to build a civilization without God, a, a, a whole operation that does not involve God, okay? Um, we begin to look for systems of advantages that do not include God. For some, it is your, your intellectual prowess. You, you feel like the more you need to be studious enough because you know that if you study hard, then people would want to come to you for knowledge. And while studying is extremely good, but your motive for doing that, or the person's motive for doing that is because they are looking for a system of advantage, a, 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 a form of security that does not involve God. Now, so the first thing is that they built a city or they wanted to build a city. Second thing, they wanted to build a tower. And the third thing is that they wanted to build a name. And they wanted to build a name for themselves. And this name did not obviously include God. And what does the name here signify? It signifies identity. And this is what also happens when people no longer have God in their consciousness, right? Is that they seek for identity in things that are outside God. And in fact, all the examples I gave before still applies. So someone might seek identity in, um, in career success because I, I, they want, I want to be able to have um, CF, CF or whatever qualifications in that, in that sector. I want to have that attached to my name. There's a form of identity they have given to that, um, to their career or their, or their, their drawing identity rather from that career progress. For some is money again, which is a very common thing. People want to be identified based on how much they have. All right, for some, it's um, their fiscal body. For some, it's, it's their, what I think of anything. People can draw identity from anything as long as God is not in their consciousness. And this is why we have to be very, very cautious, right? And this is where the helmet of salvation comes in because without the consciousness of God in our heart, we begin to look for a civilization outside God. We begin to look for a source of security and strength outside God and we begin to look for a form of identity outside God, all right? Um, and this is what these people aim to achieve, okay? Um, and this is why we need to retain God in our consciousness, all right? So this is where we're going to stop today. And then next week, we'll now see how the helmet itself plays a crucial role. Um, but I, I thought it necessary to, first of all, explore what even, why is it important? What, what is the helmet really protecting? And assuming the helmet wasn't there, what would happen? And we already see what happened in Romans chapter um, 1, verse 28. The Bible says that they did not retain God in their consciousness, uh, or in their, they did not retain the knowledge of God. And so, so God gave them over to vanity and to reprobate, reprobate mind. All right? Okay, so I hope this was helpful. I'm going to stop here. But don't, don't forget the three things we, I ended with. Um, First of all, they wanted to build a city, they wanted to build a tower, and they wanted to build a name, all right? And we said the city here represents a civilization, a way of living, okay, that does not involve God. Secondly, the tower here represents um, strength, a source of strength, a source of advantage, or a source of security, you know, that does not involve God. And it could be in anything. For some people, it's their parents. Their parents is their, their form of security. Or that rich uncle or cousin or brother or somebody, that's their source of security. And the third thing is that they wanted to build a name for themselves. The name here represents identity. They wanted to create a, an identity that did not involve God. They wanted to build an identity for themselves, all right? And um, the book of Jeremiah 10, verse 23, lets us know that it is not in man who is flesh to direct his own ways. So your identity can never be derived from you because you are not the one who created yourself, right? And that's what happens when people 
refuse to retain God in their consciousness. Okay, so we're going to end here. Um, again, I hope you learned something. I know I, I like I went touched on several things today, but again, I also hope that you learned something at least at least one thing. Okay, so please, I'm going to take questions now. Um, if you have any question, please feel free to ask me at this moment. Any question from what we have said so far? Um, yeah, any question, any question you want to ask so far from what we said? Um, if you're on Mixlr, please feel free to ask a question. And if you don't have a question, um, please let me know what you learned today. I'm going to call on someone that I haven't heard. Oh, well, I mean, for those of us on Mixlr, I can't see all of us. But anyways, just anybody, feel free to share what you learned today, something that blessed your heart or something that, that you know, you're going to go back to think about or probably even study more about to just get to, you know, understand it better or something you learned today, um, please feel free to share that right now. This is the section for it. I'm looking forward to responses. Uh, we don't have questions, but we don't have what we learned. Uh, that is not true. So what did we learn? I'm going to call on, to me, let me ask you, what did you learn today? One thing you learned today um, that you want to share with us. <clears throat> Please go on Mixlr. You can type in your, your um, light bulb moments here. One thing you learned. Okay, over to you, to me. Um, good evening. I was already typing, but okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, okay, so one thing I learned today is that the consciousness of God serves as a restraint for our hearts mm. and also our thoughts, our mind, things that we do and everything. So it's just like you have to acknowledge the fact that God is there. You have to be conscious of God in everything that you are doing to be able to um, guard your steps, guard your heart. So it's just like if someone, if someone gets you angry, if you are not conscious of the fact that you are a Christian or conscious of the fact that, okay, the Holy Spirit is with me, conscious of God's presence with you, you might just want to explode and just say things out of the anger. But if you are conscious of that fact, then um, you might want to guard what you want to say. You might want to say things in a subtle manner and yeah, something like that. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much. Um, and I love the way you're able to interpret this um, into like in your own way and your own understanding. Thank you very much to me. Okay, someone else, what did we learn today? What did we learn today? Um, I want to share. I'm still looking out for our comments on MixLR. Feel free to type them in. Um, one more person before we close. What did we learn today? What did we learn today? Um, Ifeo Lua, do you want to share with us one thing you learned today? 
Um, are you there, Faye? Uh, one thing you learned, remember you're muted. Don't forget to unmute yourself so we can hear you. Okay, on turn on Mixellar says, any act that does not factor in the consciousness of God is the proof of death. Amazing. Any act that does not factor in the consciousness of God is the proof of death. All right, fantastic. Um, okay, Ayokumi on, on Zoom says, I joined, in, I joined a bit late, but I would like to ask, how do you really become conscious of the difference between wanting to advance yourself career-wise, for example, and then seeking God or following his will? Hmm. Let me read that question again. It says, how, how do you really become conscious of the difference between wanting to advance yourself career-wise, for example, and seeking God or following his will? Okay, so if I, if I understand your question well, you're asking how do you differentiate between, you know, you just wanting to advance yourself in, in your career and versus you pursuing God's will for your life in your career at the same time. Um, okay, so let me say this, and I'm going to point back to Genesis 11, where we read that when you look at verse 4, it says, let us build us a city and a tower, and then it goes on to say, let us make us a name. So if you look at that verse, verse closely, you see that the object for every activity they wanted to do was self. Let us build us a city. Let us build, make a name for us. Let us build us a tower. They were the focus and the motivation for whatever they wanted to do. So a simple thing to, a simple litmus test, right, for whatever you, you want to do, not just in career-wise or anything in general, is to check if, it, if self is the motivation, okay? Now, if implanted in every human being is a desire to make progress, right? Um, and that is fine. That is fantastic. It is given from God. But when the motivation to make progress becomes when the objective to make progress becomes yourself and not God, right, then there's a problem. What, I, what that means is when, for instance, someone desires to um, get promoted and when, you, when the person searches his heart or what the person really is saying in himself is that when I become promoted, I want people to be greeting me. I want them to be able to, to see, I want to show that myself, I have made it in life. So at that point, self becomes the, the driving force for that desire. Whereas if your desire is God and fulfilling God's um, purpose for life, you would want to make progress because at that level of um, growth, there is greater influence you can wield for the kingdom of God, okay? So that is a, a very practical you know, difference and reason between, um, or there are a difference between self-inspired um, progress versus progress inspired by the purpose of God. All right, I hope that helps. All right, thank you very much for the question. Um, we are done now. Um, okay, let's say a word of prayer as we conclude this. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for today's Bible study. We thank you for utterance. We thank you for um, liberty to speak in the realm of the spirit. We thank you for understanding that you granted unto us. We thank you in the name of Jesus because as we go forth from here, we retain in our hearts the consciousness of, of Christ and we act based on that consciousness. Thank you, everlasting Father. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> Just before we go, I would like to ask, is there anybody joining us here for the very first time? Um, please introduce yourself and let us know what city you're joining us from and who invited you or how you learned about, you know, our Bible study, right? Anybody join us here for the very first time? Please let us know where you're joining us from, what city you're joining us from. Oh, Ayokumi, <clears throat> please feel free to unmute your mic and, you know, share with us. Good evening, everyone. Hi, good evening. Yes, my name is Ayokumi. I'm joining from Lagos. I was invited by a sister. By whom? Esosa. Hi, Esosa. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much, Ayokumi. Um, can we welcome her to the uh, to our Bible study? Just drop a comment and welcome Ayokumi to Bible study today. Ayokumi, you're welcome to today's Bible study. I hope you were blessed. I hope you learned a thing or two. Um, just basic information about us. We meet every Tuesday like this for Bible study. Um, um, but besides that, we also have what we call prayer clusters. And um, a prayer cluster is a just a, a prayer group, basically, that um, every member is encouraged to join. And you, we meet once in a week to, to pray and to you know, strengthen ourselves in the Lord in prayers, okay? So I'm dropping a couple of links, links in the chat um, for various things to so join our community. We have, a, we have a group, by the way, a WhatsApp group. Um, where we display information, we have an Instagram account. You can listen to our podcast via the link. Um, that's previous recordings of our Bible study. You can watch us on YouTube. Um, you can send a feedback. Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to send it. When you join the group, I'll send a link later for us, for you to join a prayer cluster. All right, thank you very much, Ayokumi. Anybody on Mixelar joining us? Okay, I do not see anyone. All right, thank you everyone for tonight. God bless you. See you next week, Bible study, the same time, 7 p.m. West African time. Um, yeah, that's it. All right. Have a wonderful rest, remaining part of your day. God bless you all.